Hello listeners and apologies in advance for forgetting in the intro, as you'll hear in a moment, to mention the upcoming episode of The Book Club. Yes, it makes its return next week. The World Atlas of Golf, as reviewed and discussed by Derek Duncan, Adrian Logue and Dr. Stephen Proctor. If you haven't got your copy yet, you've still got time to go out and get it and at least thumb through it before sitting down and listening to what the guys have to say. And also, just before I go, I did promise some people down the south coast of New South Wales last week when I visited the area to do some stories on some of the clubs down there. Go down there and play some golf. Naruma, Chura Beach, Mollymook, Batemans Bay, Bega, Eden. They really could all do it. The devastating bushfires in the area, as we know, all of the courses are untouched and are, in fact, in fantastic condition. Couldn't be a better time for a golf holiday. And from what I saw a few weeks ago, you won't have trouble booking a tea time. The place was empty. Naruma Golf Club, the most spectacular place you could imagine. Empty, not a single golfer at four o'clock in the afternoon. So do yourself a favour and consider that. Otherwise, enjoy episode 19 of Good, Good. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray helping you come down from the high of two terrific weeks of golf in Bee Park, putting the icing on top of an exciting fortnight with a clinical deconstruction of the Royal Adelaide layout at the Women's Australian Open. We'll talk a bit about that today, but more importantly, we're going to delve into a broader issue that we've discussed before here on Good Good and on our predecessor podcast, I Seek Golf, Golf as seen from a non-golfer's perspective. Irish athletics legend Sonia O'Sullivan will join us shortly to chat about a fascinating piece she wrote for the Irish Times about attending her first golf tournament at 13th Beach. We'll bring Sonia in in just a moment, as well as my co-host Adrian Logue. But first, some news this morning. I was chatting to young Aaron from the Golf Society. He's our network sponsor here at Talk and Golf, an online retailer of some of the very best apparel brands in the game. You'd know about this, Logue. Aaron, Aaron tells me pretty much everything's on sale at the site because they're clearing stock to make way for a change of season. Is this a thing That's with a clothing? Thing. There's a thing. change of season? Okay. Well, they're having that at the moment, apparently, Okay, and everything's on sale. So because I'm a nice bloke, I asked him whether there might be something a little bit extra special available for Talk and Golf listeners. Mm-hmm. Well, turns out there is. Yeah. Extra 30% off sale prices to be precise. Wow is exactly the right response. Now, I had a look at the site, and I can tell you there's some heavily discounted stuff there. If you add in the talk and golf deal, there really are some bargains to be had. Even I may be tempted if I can find a shoe that fits. That's not easy to do, but visiting thegolfsociety.com.au is. Select your items, then at the checkout, put in the promo code TG, short for talk and golf. I decided not to go with talk and golf, Logue, because uh, so many seem to find the 1G thing a bit confusing. Led by you, you've been the leader of that movement, and I I've do I've been hold trying to clarify it for everybody. Thegolfsociety.com.au. Just concerned people could misunderstand it. Golfsociety.com.au. Promo code TG at checkout for an extra 30% off already discounted sale prices. It'll come as no surprise to anybody to learn that there's a link below in the show notes. Nobody ever looks below, Adrian. Look down occasionally, people. I know we say to look up on the course. Look down on the podcast app. You'll find the show notes. Speaking of talking golf, make sure to check out the rest of the quality podcasts on the network from Connor Lewis's extremely popular, in fact, a little bit too popular. Annoyingly History popular. podcast. <laughs> That's exactly right. To the very cerebral and important on the tee with Dr. P looking at issues surrounding women in golf. Academic, I would From say. an academic yeah, perspective. I feel like we're the cerebral podcast. Oh, okay. So oh, well, I already had academic after, so I went with cerebral first. I'll, okay. I might have to re- record right. the whole intro. Uh, it's fascinating stuff with Dr. Kelly Professor. She's a professor, you know. Yep. So that is definitely academic, no question. And probably cerebral as well. Enough of all that. Let's talk some golf. I'll start here in the Sydney studio with my regular co-host, fellow golf nerd, Adrian Logue. You've already heard plenty from him, but he's a refugee from his own home this morning. Some pesticide spraying going on. Thank goodness for the sanctuary of the Sydney podcast studios, Adrian. 
yeah, I could be getting a bit woozy. I was going to record this from home, but I could be getting a bit woozy on the fumes if I was there at the moment. So. It might have lost you. And being a bit of a pest from time to time might not have been safe for you either. That's Indeed. probably That might be one of the worst jokes I've ever told, and that is a move competitive on. category. Let's move on. From time to time, it's good to climb out of your comfort zone, and that's exactly what we're going to do today when we welcome a guest who's not a regular part of the golf fraternity, but maybe moving more in that direction after an interesting encounter the week before last at the Vic Open. Sonia O'Sullivan's a middle distance runner, four-time Olympian representing Ireland. She claimed the silver medal in the 5,000 metres at the Sydney Olympics, and that's about where I should stop talking about anything athletic because I've already surpassed my knowledge base. Sonia, welcome. Thanks for taking some time. That was all straight from Wikipedia. First things first, is any of it true? And is 5,000 metres really middle distance? It sounds like an awfully long way to me, 5,000 metres. Um, yeah, 5,000 is probably heading towards long distance, I would say, too. <laughs> Um, Imagine about the four thousand meter mark. It really starts to feel like long distance. Yeah, when when I first started out running in the Olympics, the distance for women was actually three thousand meters. Sounds more reasonable. I was I was, I was quite happy with that. You know, <laughs> Fifteen hundred meters and three thousand meters. They kind of um, complemented each other nicely. But when you step up to the five thousand meters, you have those extra couple of kilometers in the middle where you know you have to try your best not to lose contact or get distracted. I'm not sure couple is the correct collective noun for kilometres. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? A couple of kilometres makes it sound... It's a slog of yeah, kilometres. Right. Yeah. It's, it's an incomprehensible of kilometres. Anytime there's an S on the end of kilometre, that's where you go. Uh, appreciate you taking some time, Sonia. As I said in the intro there, you wrote a fascinating piece in the Irish Times, which just by dumb luck I stumbled across on Twitter. Somebody had retweeted it. I'll be completely honest, I had not heard of you. I don't follow athletics and so on. In Ireland, I'm sure I wouldn't say that. That wouldn't go down well, but not following athletics. And I was really, really, really interested to get your take on the golf. You went out to the 13th Beach to watch Leona Maguire. For those who haven't yet heard, if you've been living under a rock, Leona Maguire might be one of the most promising young players in women's golf. She's from Ireland. Her and her sister, twin sister Lisa were stars of the game as amateurs. Lisa's now retired from pursuing a professional career and works in management, but Leona's still out there playing. You went down to watch... Leona, so I'll let you pick up the story and what you sort of saw there, Sonia, and then we're going to sort of, Adrian and I are going to probe you about the golf experience from a non-golfer's perspective. So how did it come to be that you're at 13th Beach? Um, well, um, I suppose I'm quite heavily involved with the women in sports movement in Ireland. Um, I, I write a, a column each week for the Irish Times, and it's actually in a section of the paper that is called Women in Sport. And um, I actually asked them to put this a little heading so that you could find all these articles not just me but there's a you know there's a we get a, at least a full page every Thursday and um, so by doing that you come across different sports people and you know like everybody you can get lost in your own sport and so um, yeah so I was at this award ceremony in Dublin and um, the, what they do is you there's a sportswoman awarded each month um, and then they all come together at the end of the year for the overall award ceremony. And everybody's brought up onto the stage and they all do a little interview. And, you know, you become curious and you want to find out more. And sometimes you get to speak to a few of them afterwards if they're not rushing off. And I happened to speak to Leona and somehow we got talking about where she was going to be playing this year. And she mentioned she was coming to Australia. And I said, well, where will you be? And when she mentioned Barwon Heads, it's quite local to, we have a, a beach house down along the coast and I often ride my bike past 13th Beach 
and over to Barwon Heads and you know that's kind of my <laughs> relationship with 13 Beach Golf Course. It's on the right on the way to Barwon Heads and yep. on the left on the way home that's your relationship with it is that right? That's exactly it and it can be a very win- it can be a very windy road. Indeed yeah. Oh, <laughs> it definitely it definitely wasn't a day for going on the bike either of the days I was down there last weekend. Um so yeah, it's a it's a tough bike ride, and um, yeah, you know, you do think this golf course goes on forever and ever <laughs> along the Thirteen Beach Road. Well, there are so, two um, courses there, of course, so that explains that there, there is there's more golf course than normal because it's thirty six holes. I interrupt. I'm yes. sorry. Keep going. Yeah. So then I just said to Leona, I said, "Oh, I'm around. I'll I'll come down and have a look." And you know, then I suppose it came around very quickly. Um, all of a sudden, it was I heard. A mention of it on the radio and didn't actually realize that it was going to be played you know mixed with the men so that it was even more interesting you know that was i think quite a big deal that that was done and that there was equal prize money for the men and the women at the vic open um so i followed a little bit on the first two days and i saw that leona mcguire and also stephanie meadow from ireland had um both made the cut, so I thought, oh, I better get down and check this out. And then I saw there was a second cut coming on the third day. And I thought, oh, I've got to go on the third day now, just in case I don't get to see them. Um, but they both made it into the fourth day. And, you know, right up there at the top end of the field. So I thought this could be exciting and interesting for Irish golf. So, you know, while I had the chance and the opportunity, then it was, a you know, good for me to get along. And I'd kind of figured things out after the first day. It was a bit confusing when you turn up first, you know, to follow along and see what's going on. But once you work it out, it's actually quite good fun. I, I note from your, your <laughs> article, you were even a bit confused about where to go on the course. Like you needed a map and you're trying to – someone said, Leona's yeah. out on the eighth hole and you were like <laughs> – So that might as well be Swahili. Yeah, exactly. Where do, where do I go? The what, where? Yes, indeed. I, I just want to go yes. back for a sec to where you mentioned – you you heard that it was a you know, mixed event and that there was equal prize money. As a non-golfer, or it's perhaps I'm not sure how in touch you are with the sport, but did that seem like oh, of course it is to you, or was it was it? Did you know that that was an unusual setup for a golf tournament? Uh, no, I didn't, and I didn't know that it was um, you know something that you know you hear about it a lot in tennis. They tend to talk about it quite a bit, and. Um, you know, from running in athletics from, you know, all through my career, it was equal prize money. Now, I'm sure there was men getting paid more appearance money because that was a big part of athletics, you know, back in the early days. Um, but from a very long time, prize money in athletics has always been equal. So it's never really been an issue in athletics that people, you know, I suppose, spoke about a lot because uh, it was fairly well developed and all the time men and women's events in athletics run concurrent with each other. So it's kind of a normal thing Mm. to do. Yeah. And having learned about that and seen it at 13th Beach as well, I think everybody notices at 13th Beach that the women's event is actually a little bit more it's the premier event. Popular. Let, let's not let's not mince things. There, there's it, no doubt at all. Right? It, it's the stronger of the mm-hmm. two events, and the one with the more interest. Great in field name players. And, yes, it, very much. It carries a lot more excitement, a lot more interest. Um, so, knowing now, do you do you find it sort of surprising that most golf tournament or yeah, three sixty four one days of the year uh, run like that in golf? Uh, um, well, you can see how it wouldn't be, though, because it's it's a bit more time consuming to put them all in together. And you'd have yep. to 
not every reduced, venue can do that. Yeah. You'd have to have reduced fields as well. And I suppose with 13 feet, if you have two courses, then you can use the two courses and it makes it a little bit easier. Um, but you can see how it is a bit more difficult to do that um, in, in golf. Um, but it's, I think, you know, sometimes these ideas are good to do sometimes and not all of the time. You know, it works sometimes, but if it was all the time, then it wouldn't be the same thing. Like there was a talk last week. I guess maybe it would be a good idea to do something like that in the Olympics because it would make it more interesting Mm. for people to watch the men and women together in in the Olympic competition. We'll, we'll we'll get to the Olympics in a moment because it's it's an Olympic year and you're an Olympic gold medalist and uh, I'm getting that from the Wikipedia page as well. Silver, uh, silver, silver. Mm. Well, good on you. Well, I won't be editing. I said that. I'll get edited out. I'll go and said that. I'll go and edit. I'm going to edit your Wikipedia page. No, it's, I've misread that. I'll, t- I'll take the gold. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Ret- retrospectively. Uh, so we're very keen to hear a little bit about that and what Northern Ireland has in or an island in general has in prospect for the Olympics because Australia it's something we've we've got a, quite an interest in at the moment. Adam Scott's just won a golf tournament this morning, and uh, there's a lot of talk about whether he'll go to the Olympics because he said no last time. He's an anti-Olympian, Sonia. I'm not so, sure you know that, but he was anti-Olympics. There's some of us in golf, and I'm one of them, who doesn't believe golf belongs in the Olympics. Yep. However, I am open to the notion. I've said this before publicly. I recall Suo, who's a young Australian player, telling me. She remembers where she was the moment the announcement was made that golf would be in the Olympics, and she was 11 years old on the putting green at Metro, and from that moment on, it became her goal to play Olympic golf. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a generational thing going on there, and Adam Scott's Mm -hmm. closer to my generation than Sue's, and for him, it doesn't really belong in the Olympics, certainly in the format they've changed. Anyway, we've got Mm -hmm. off the rails there, but the whole thing. I wonder, Sonia, when I hear you talk about the equal pay and uh, the tournaments being, or tournaments, the events being held together in athletics, that's probably almost as much a structural issue, is it not? In golf, we have separate bodies at the professional level running the men's and women's games. If, if it ran under one body, you would imagine we'd see more of what we see. I'm not sure what the tennis situation is. I don't know whether Adrian's any clear on that. You've got the WTA and the ATP. Are they in any way, do they work together? Are they two separate bodies? I'm not sure, but I suspect that's probably as much as anything to do with it. Did you, do you get any sense of that? Because it's not just athletics, of course. Sport is your thing, isn't it? <laughs> you're, just, yeah, you're right about yeah. sport. And, yeah, so, well, athletics that? is all one body, um, and I suppose it's kind of one of, because it's, you know, one of the original sports and one of the original Olympic sports um, that, you know, it came from very simple, basic, I suppose, structures in the beginning. And the the main thing with athletics was the inclusion of women and the growing inclusion of women. And that's why in 1996, the women's 3000 became a 5000 because there was then a women's 3000 meter steeplechase and now there's a women's pole vault. So it was the equaling up of the events was more of a thing um, than, you know, the actual having them compete on the same stage and, you know, being treated equally. Let's leave aside some of those and those political issues for a moment. I want to come back to golf itself and the non-golfer's perspective. So for the first time, I think it was, you walked into a golf tournament. Is that right? At the Vic Open? Is your first introduction Um, to a golf tournament? Well, I have been to one before, but I've only sat on the edge of the green. I haven't really walked around. you know, when, being in Ireland, you're never too far from a golf course. No. And um, So what tournaments have a, you been to before? I'm from a place um, it, called Cove, which is in County Cork. And the I think it was the Irish Open was on at Fota Island Golf Course. 
And so I went down there to watch that. I'm trying to remember who was playing. <laughs> I you, don't even know. It was probably... Think, what do you think about I, that? Why did you make that decision? I'm, I'm curious if you haven't played golf, I don't really have any attachment. I know the golf tournament's near. Was it just a case of it's nearby, I'll go and have a look out of interest? Yeah, it was a big event. And, it, you know, a big event in a small town or area in Ireland, it shuts the whole place down. So it was more about going to see, you know, what's this all about? And um, I could get there quite easily. You know, people were traveling from, you know, from all over the place and there was traffic everywhere. And, you know, it was just easy for me to get out there. So I thought, yeah, I got to go here. And I think we, we probably got a pass, you know, being local and everything. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't training so hard at the time. It was I had my oldest daughter with me and I was pregnant with my young daughter. So, you know, when you're in that situation, you're a bit more open to, you know, exploring a bit more and uh, doing things that you don't normally do when you're training 100 miles a week. And do you recall your response to that? Did you enjoy that? What did you get to see? What was the most memorable moment? What do you remember about that? Um, I just remember the crowds. It was a very well-attended event, but the crowds around the green and, you know, the big cheers, but then the silence as well, you know, was the contrast was unbelievable. You know, that you could have such a loud crowd, but then, you know, within minutes, you could have them all silent while the golfers were putting. And, and as Peter Alice has said so many times, you just put up that tiny little bit of string and they all stay behind it. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite bizarre. <laughs> the thing wouldn't even be the, the, the circumference of your little f- pinky finger and thousands mm-hmm. of people just, they, they can't cross this in. This was 2014, the Irish Open was at Photo Island. Mm-hmm. I just looked that up on Google and Soren Hansen won it. What about the game itself, Sonia? Did you take anything from the playing of the game? Were you interested in what that was about and how it worked? And was it different because at 13th Beach last week or the week before, you walked the course and watched the play, which I assume was a different experience than just sitting at the green watching the balls come in and the players putt. Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. And, you know, I had decided that's what I was going to do. and I, But I didn't know how it worked. But, and then, of course, I learned later that at 13 Beach, it's a little bit different because you just walk along and there's not very many ropes at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, none, in fact. You just, yep. you just follow the players. And, um, you know, I think everybody was very respectful and let the players go first and it was a little bit more crowded on the Sunday um, so it was just quite interesting to watch how that was all working out and you know it was a couple of times um, one of the girls lost her golf ball and everybody would be tramping around in the bushes looking for this golf ball yep. <laughs> snakes be damned Sonia yeah. this golf ball's <laughs> worth more than any potential snake so, and the amazing thing was the balls were never found. No, of course. No. 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 Be found, the next day they would have all been found, but <laughs> never on the day that they're lost no. within the allotted three minutes. No, you'd find other, other golf balls. But of course. Yeah. Looking yeah. For. By the dozens. Yeah. By the dozens. Did you get a sense of – I've always thought that – the advantage of going to watch the golf live is you get a sense of the perspective of the game. On television, it's on your screen. And even 4K television, the great TV pictures we get these days, can't give a sense of both the nature of the terrain and the distances involved. Did that make yeah. any impact on you to stand behind the players and see the target up there in the distance and then watch them take this little white ball and send it there somehow with a ridiculous stick? Um, yeah, that was pretty amazing and especially with the windy conditions you know the way they would send the ball up and send it off in the completely opposite direction to the green but somehow turn it back in and it would land where they wanted it to land um i know i did once go and play golf and i had all these visions in my head of how it was going to work out 
and um, it didn't it didn't quite play out as should, I imagined. Should we should we say that you are a civil, silver medalist in middle distance running yeah. as opposed <laughs> yeah. to a golf champion? Might explain that. Sorry, Adrian. Did Did you have trouble picking up the ball at all? At first, I find non golfers when they you take them to a golf tournament. They just, they're like, well, what happened? See the, Where'd it go? There was a sound. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a sound. Movement, but I can't and, see any result. Yeah, now we're moving on to the next one. Did- yeah, I'm amazed at how the golfers knew exactly. When they would walk up the fairway, they would be heading in the direction where the ball was, and they knew exactly where it was, but I would have no idea. Um, but So then a couple of times I would walk halfway up the fairway, because you could do that on the edge. So then you'd see it, because you'd see the fly coming over, and you were halfway. Yeah. So, I, I was beginning to think that my eyesight wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's more <laughs> yeah, a matter of knowing where to look, I think, isn't it? The window. Uh-huh. That the a little, little bit of experience yeah, at so, going to a golf tournament. And those grey skies last week, I did a bit of on-course commentary, and it was very difficult humble to pick brag. up the ball if you weren't. Yes, humble brag, exactly. Yeah. There was one girl um, on the final day, and she had, actually had a pink golf ball. That's right. I And um, that was quite good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you wonder why does everybody else go with white? I find the pink harder to see, funnily enough. Yeah. I wonder whether that's just a habit. mate of mine uses a blue golf ball. It, it, that is impossible. All, all you can say to him is it looked good in the air because the moment it hits the ground, you've got no idea what The happened. problem with that sentence was, mate, you need to stop that. If he's going to continue to use a blue ball, you need to stop being his mate. That's the yeah. only way he's going to learn. It's a Volvic as well. You need to send a clear message, Adrian. <laughs> that's just not acceptable. What else struck you as weird about it, Sonia? I'm keen to get your insights. The piece is really good, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes so uh-huh. people can go and, and have a read. But I'm intrigued by the notion of a non-golfer lobbing up at a tournament. As golfers, there is so much knowledge we have that we take for granted. We don't even think about. But as a non-golfer, I-, I imagine it's quite confronting. Yeah, well, I think the thing when you turn up at a tournament, you know, you have your map of the holes and everything. And um, whereas when you turn up at a golf course on any other day during the week, it's just you know a golf course, and there's not really any rhyme or reason to where everything is if you're not a golfer. So if I turn up at a golf course and go for a run, I basically would go around the perimeter. Would be, you know, that would be my instinct to do that. But when you follow a golf course and the way it walks up and across and down. And it's got all these zigzags. Like, it would be quite interesting. I don't know if golfers wear a GPS or, you know, a tracker of how far they walk and the route that they take, um, like athletes do and cyclists do yeah. and swimmers do. Um, and then you come back and you'd have a little picture of, you know, where you were out there playing all day and the amount that you walked and the kind of the lines that you took. Yeah, some, some, yeah, they do. Yeah, some zigzag much more than others. That could be a very ugly picture for some. (laughs) You're spending far too much time in this one spot, hacking around in this piece of grass without moving forward or sideways, (laughs) and wasting everybody's time. Does has being at the the tournament sparked any interest for you, Sonia? Are you? I know you said you'd tried it once before. Are you curious at all to maybe try it again? I, I feel like something happens with people who compete their whole life be it at amateur or professional level there comes a time obviously where physically you can't compete at the level you used to in most sports like running and tennis and cricket and those things and for a lot of those people golf is a discovery they discover something they can compete at still which is golf and they've got this handicap system and all this wonderful stuff that they discover about it has it piqued your interest in any way having been to that tournament um i i think in some ways yes but i think also it's the, pro- the issue I have with it is it's so time-consuming. And, you know, to go out and do it once is great, but 
if it was a regular thing. And like, I, I can't get over the fact that, you know, a tournament is four days mm-hmm. and it's four days of at least four hours walking around out there. I think for Leona, the third day was, um, I think her, her caddy told me they were out there for over five hours. Oh, easily. Yeah. And um, I remember uh, um, when I woke up on the Sunday morning and I could hear, cause I stayed down the coast and I could hear the wind still there. And I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, I was just thinking about going for a run in the wind and I'm thinking, you know, if you ever have to go out there and face another four hours of golf in this wind, what what would you be thinking? A lot of golfers would have woken up with exactly the same thought on Sunday <laughs> mornings. Oh my God, I can hear the wind, not that again. Exactly. And it it, it yeah. bro- broke a couple of them. So, like I've spent quite a lot of time, you know, I can't run as far as I used to or as fast as I used to. So I've done quite a bit of cycling over the past few years and the issue with that is also it's very time consuming and running is a very time efficient sport. And I suppose when that's what I know the best, then it's very difficult to commit fully to something that takes a lot of time. So what's your um, assumption of but, how long it takes to play golf? Sonia? What's my assumption? of? Yeah. What's your assumption of if you decided to go and try golf, what would you expect? How would, how long would you expect to have to devote to it each week? Oh, wow. That would be, I think you'd have to break it down. I think, you know, when you look at golf, you see it's a whole, 18 holes, you know, you're out there for half the day um, and you'd probably have to break it down into small pieces and, you know, work on small things, not, not do the whole thing every day because it would drive you mad. Um, drive you I mad think no matter what, that's I can the joy of the game, Sonia. The whole point of the game is to drive you mad. <laughs> <laughs> like I can see how if you start off on a round and you get like three or four holes into it and things aren't going really well that you'd like to go back and start again. <laughs> That's not a bad thought. <laughs> Novel concept that, <laughs> that two is. golfers just sat here and did a double take yeah, at the prospect of that. You could well, that would yeah. be a popular rule change, I think. So no, do over. You blokes wait here, I'm gonna go and play the first three again. Yeah. Like I know I've I've kind of done stuff like that with running where you know you start off a training session and it's not going the way you want it to go. And you know, sometimes you push through it and then other times you just stop and you say, oh, I can't do this anymore, I'm not doing it properly. I've got to start again. And, you know, sometimes you might walk away and come back the next day. Um, not all run- runners would do this. <laughs> I think I did this in a couple of my mad moments. Um, and, you know, when I look back at my training diaries now, it wasn't actually that bad at all. But Sounds at like a that punishment. time, in my mind, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I'm sure that's a similar thing with golfers is that, you know, when you go so far, you commit so far to whether it's training or a game, and then you'd like to go back and reset and go again because you know you can do it better. There's times for sure as a golfer where you're a growing person <laughs> playing a game. It's a pastime. You've you've left your family at home and you're out there just chasing a white ball around a, a thing and you're not doing it well. And you and you really do question what the point of the whole thing is. What am I, and I've paid an exorbitant yeah, and you're paying fee a lot of money and for a the weekly privilege. fee to be a part of this. I'm paying exactly. them for me to exactly in, in it's not, this. It's not an adult thing to do in a lot of ways. It's, it's absurd. It's, it, of all the things, it's the most absurd imaginable way to make a living. Can you imagine if someone said to you, "What does your dad do?" and you said he played golf? Yeah, oh, he plays golf. It's a, it, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's surreal. It's a In fact, I think Peter Lonard told me his father still can't figure out what he does. He lives in a yeah. very fancy place down near Circular Cairn, Sydney Harbour, Sonia. He's a professional golfer, but he's a very successful player here in Australia and internationally. And his father-in-law just doesn't get it. He says every time he comes over, he says to him, 
what did you say you do again? And Pete says, I play golf. He says, yeah, I've got mates who play golf, but what do you do, like, for a living? It's like, no, <laughs> this is all from golf, mate. I'm going nicely. Thank you very much. <laughs> is it obvious to you, Sonia, and I understand exactly what you're saying there about it, it looks like a massive commitment golf. You do know you don't have to play 18 holes. Are you aware of that in each round? Um, but if you pay him for it, you probably do, don't you? <laughs> if you sign up. If you pay for a round of golf, you'd like to go out and do the whole lot. It'd be nice to defer half the round that you've paid for to some other day, wouldn't Walk it? Walk off after nine. If it, if it yeah. wasn't going well, I'm going to save that other nine. That's right. I'm going to come back rain check on the, on the other nine. And, and have that. All right, so time. Okay. It seems, seems to you time-consuming. What else do you notice about it that might make you balk? Um, yeah, it's very um, very quiet. There's a lot of whispering going on out there on the course. Well, that's only at a professional tournament. You don't get any of that at Mangrove Mountain on a Saturday. Yeah, so I think I'd like to go and I'd like to go for a round of golf with some, you know, interesting people. I'm sure there'd be some people you could have a good laugh with. If only we were interesting, Adrian, we could offer to help. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sally Pearson's taking up golf. She is. Uh, yeah, big time. She's really into it. She's not fine. Yeah. Sorry, Sonia. <laughs> yes. Well, you know the way you get a lot of these um, ex-rugby players and soccer players and, you know, there's, there's there's some fine characters in Ireland who I know they go off and they play golf and you could imagine you'd have a good laugh going out there for the day. But it seems to be more men do that than women. Um, I don't know. They seem to be able to devote more time to it. Women get more involved in, in other things. <laughs> it's one of golf's great potential strengths, though, is the fact that high-profile professional athletes from almost every other sport like to play golf. And it's it's an amazing reservoir of, of any, popular talent. I, think. I can see how it's a bit like, you know, once you start something, like my visualization of it is, I don't know if you ever use like a, a power hose to clean the patio. And like if I do that, I go, you know, lines across, lines across. And <laughs> You've got my full attention. <laughs> 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 I do rude words. I can't help it. But but uh, you have to like set time aside to do it so that you can do it properly. And that's kind of my thing with golf is that if you can't set the time aside to do it properly, then mm-hmm. I'm not interested in doing it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> what yeah. issues does this raise? For, as golf, what, we, what could we do as golf as a game, Sonia, to perhaps make it more appealing? What might make you say, all right, I'll go give that a try? Well, there has been people who have you heard of um, people? They go for like a world record of doing a round of golf and they run. With yes, their, yeah, the speed their, golf. Yes, yep. indeed. Sp- yep. Yeah, or crazy, crazy few, golf, as I like to call it. There's been a, <laughs> there's been a few golfers or a few runners who have done that and been quite good at that. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't really want to do that. No, I quite enjoyed walking around casually and you know just taking my time. Um, what could you do to make it more interesting? For more, more appealing, just for so, social golf. Yeah, to make and, you um, think, yeah. I'll go and have a go at that. What would it? What, what would be the perfect golf experience for you to start and decide whether you maybe wanted to go on with it? Um, I think. Well, I think probably short course and getting people to break it down and say, you know, you could do quarters. You could do um, a quarter. You know, you could do four quarters in a week or in a in a space of time in a, in a fixed amount of time. Um, so you've got to do, you know, the full round in a week, but you can break it down into four days okay. the, and then add it up. Here's a question. You write in your piece a little bit about the the wind and you, you, know, you come in off the course with like all sand through your hair and you're, <laughs> you're surprised about just how wild it is out at, out at 13th Beach. Um, it, the thing I find for 
for people trying to play a little bit of casual golf, like if you want to duck out for six holes or something like that, you actually, there's a situation with, you know, shoes and you get all sweaty, even though, you know, you're just walking around a golf course. But if it's just even a little bit humid that day, you come in all sticky and disgusting and you can't really, like your whole day revolves around getting into golf clothes and getting out of golf clothes just so you could play six what holes. What if this, Adrian, was to convince Sonia she could play golf? Not to convince <laughs> no, I mean, me that I shouldn't. I'm interested and in solutions. You, you're making the case I'm pretty int- well. I'm interested in solutions. Like, if, if unless conditions are great, then you've got to kind of set up for golf. Like, you, like your feet get... It's true. Like, you need you need shoes that, for golf. And true. You can just sort of walk out with your street shoes, but they're going to get all But you've got to get dressed to go to the movies as well, don't you, Sonia, or dinner or anything else? I don't think there's any... You don't get all... Sweaty. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit like cycling is the same thing, you know. Is it worth going for an hour cycle? You know, the, the whole effort is to get ready to go. Whereas yeah, to yeah. go for a run, you just throw your shoes on and out the door. And um, I suppose when you're always coming back to that as your kind of... Um, your, that's kind of like your... Um, I suppose that my barometer is, um, you know, putting on your shoes and running out the door. Um, you've got to be able to, I suppose. And, and it, I suppose the thing that gets me to, you know, get all ready to go for a cycle is if I'm going to meet some people that I enjoy spending time with. And that's, I'm sure that's the key with golf as well. And with a lot of people who play golf is that if they have some people they enjoy going out there and playing golf with and, you know, it's it's more than it's more than just a walk. Well, it's not know? the quality of the golf that appeals to us. I can assure you, Sonia, either that being played <laughs> by others or ourselves. I'm intrigued as you speak there. And consider that you've pursued individual sports, which golf is also, but that you can do with others. They're not team sports, but they're mm-hmm. what you can do. To me, the appeal of golf is exactly what you've just said there. You go out and play with your mates and your sledge and the, the things that, that pass between Adrian and I on golf courses aren't safe for work to use uh, in this form. That's the attraction of it. Can you see anything in that? If I said to you, grab your best friend and we'll go and play six holes of golf, does that sound appealing? We'll just whack oh, yeah, it around. Absolutely, and- yeah, on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah, so you can see that. Absolutely. What about the notion of the game being difficult? Does that bother you or do you figure yeah, like well, a think, lot of people? I think a lot of people probably think it's not difficult. Uh-huh. Do you think it would be difficult, having watched it? Oh, I, I, I know it is, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have tried and I was <laughs> I was really surprised. I, I, um, like a- I, go out with my, I go out with my dog. I have two dogs now and um, I bring a hurling. Do you know a hurling? Yes, yes, yeah. So I bring that and I have a couple of balls that I like to hit for the dogs. And, you know, I'll line myself up. And I'll aim the ball to go between the goalposts or to hit a tree or to go over a tree. And I can get it to do exactly what I want it to do. And um, so I was doing this and then I went to the golf course and I thought I could think the same way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm pretty good, strong hit with the hurley, but I think I probably put a bit more effort in than is required. So I think the technical and the skillful part of hitting a golf ball is lost on me because, you know, I'm one of these quite competitive people. And, you know, for me, it was to run as far as you could, as fast as you could in training. And it was very intense and you just go after it. Whereas I think with golf, you have to strategically work it out before you go after it. There's a golf uh, in there, don't you? I think so. It sounds like it. And that, 
that I haven't quite worked out. Mm, golf, golf works again. Against... And to be, to be, to be patient, isn't it? You have to be patient and, uh, you and know, not, not attack, I suppose, as much as you would if you're in a team sport or you're, you know, trying to be better than somebody, you know. All that implies you're, you're somewhat in control of what's going, <laughs> what's on, going on. That's right. Yeah. First thing you do is seed control. I, I feel like it right from day one, it, it's a battle with your expectations. Like you, you mentioned before, like you, it looks easy. You should be able to just swing this thing and the ball should just go. As a mate of mine once said, how hard could it be? It's just sitting. The ball's just sitting there. <laughs> just sitting How hard there. How could it be? <laughs> yeah. You walk up and whack it. I've got this thing here. Yeah. I can swing that. that. I can, I can hit that, that thing. But yeah, it just right from day one, it, it battles with your expectations and that never ends as a golfer and the thing is always you know when 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 you're coming from other sport you don't realize you know that there's different types of balls and different types of clubs that can you know help you to do things differently and you know the technology and everything around it is you know if you just turn up when you've never been there before you know, you just see a golf ball and a golf club and you don't know the difference between one or the other like some people might turn up and they wouldn't even have the right Right or left-handed golf clubs because they wouldn't know. Well, the the truth is it doesn't really matter. No. Yeah, is that the absolute truth that you can try from <laughs> yeah. either side? You'd be hopeless. That's yeah. the reality for the bulk of it. Yeah, so. and that, it's kind of like that for a couple of years. Really, it's, <laughs> it's, it's about thirty so far yeah. based on the evidence at hand, yeah. and then maybe it'll start to improve. Or you'll so do is that, and give is up. Is that all? Just the kind of one percenters that you start working on when you're at the really top end? Well, that well they do work at it, and to be honest with you, they deserve to have to work at it. They're extraordinarily lucky to have some talent for the game and be able to make some money out of it and play for a living. So they deserve to have to work. The rest of us really just get to complain about it and wish ourselves to a better game. That's what we think we can do. <laughs> if if I just wish and hope a bit harder, maybe I'll get better. Yep. There's no need to go to the range. Mm-hmm. And then if you really get desperate, you can always buy a new club <laughs> because that'll guarantee, yep. that's guaranteed to attach your – limited ability to a better club and surely the outcome has to change on you these are the conversations golfers have been having with themselves for years and years and years and years and years and we continue to do the same thing and expect a different outcome which is as we know uh, the absolute uh, definition of madness is there anything about the uh, mental side of the game that appeals to you Sonia that the discipline that you you talked about the discipline obviously required and the patience you could see that the players strategically plotting their way and calculating the risk and the reward for certain shots and whatnot. Does any of that appeal to you? The strategic element of golf. Um, oh, I'm not sure. I'm very good at things like that. I'm not. I'm not very patient. Oh, um, I, a golfer in there I li- for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I listen. I listened to. Um, I was watching an interview last night with. Padraig Harrington. Oh, I saw a bit of and, that. It was fascinating, wasn't um, it? Did you see that with um, Tommy Tiernan? Yeah, I saw a clip of it. He was talking about the power yeah. of positive thinking. And he was asking him if he had any other things that he did outside of golf, like any hobbies or, you know. And he said, no, he just he thinks about golf all the time. Yeah. He's, a, he's a nut. He's, he's a, a golf nut. nut. Uh, but what was interesting so, about that interview, the clip I saw on Twitter, sorry, Sonia, was – he talked about the power of positive thinking, and Tommy Tiernan was quite taken aback at this notion. <laughs> Just suggested that's all too hard. But Harrington told a beautiful story about when he was twelve. He tried out for the choir at school. Do you remember this bit, Sonia? Mm-hmm. And he didn't get in, and he has never sung again in the car, in the shower, anywhere, because in his mind he was told you're not good enough, and if you're not good enough, then don't do it. And he hasn't done it since. I thought that was really intriguing. He's an intriguing guy, mm. Harrington. But that deep, was amazing, wasn't it? Um, 
the way that just sort of came out. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, so I think, you know, it does seem to be golf. You have to be very committed. And, you know, if it's just a pastime or a hobby, then, you know, <laughs> how committed can you be? What? Like, I feel like that now when I when I run now and people might say to me, you know, um, what are you training for? And I kind of think, well, I'm not really training. I'm just going for a run because I like going for a run. And um, it's I feel good when I've done it, but I'm not actually out there plotting any kind of training plan to you know, be a better athlete because it's impossible for me to to match anything that I've done before, but I still like to run. Should we flip the switch here, Adrian? Sonia, can you convince Adrian and I to take up running? Yeah. What's the appeal? Why would you run, for goodness sake? We've had cars for like 100 years. Um, well, I suppose the thing that the thing that comes from running greater than any other sport or pastime or hobby or activity that you might do is that you no matter you can if you start at the end of it you always feel better afterwards like no matter how bad a run is no matter how bad a day is outside and you're kind of talking yourself out of it um the ones that you nearly talk yourself out of runs um you come back and you never feel better it's just whatever it is the endorphins or the things the positive vibes that get going in your in your physically and mentally you come back and you feel like you can do anything you know you're kind of you're set up for the day if you can get out and do it early in the morning and um all of a sudden everything is easy um but the hardest part is that first step and they always say you know the first step especially if you're getting up early in the morning the first step is the hardest but once you're out there then and you allow yourself to I suppose, hurt for a little bit, then it gets easier. And Podrick, he said that last night as well. He said that, um, he said, you know, people think, well, how do you do that? It's hard. And he said, yeah, of course it's hard. But everything is hard the first time you do it. And then the more you do it and the more you practice and the more you, I suppose, improve, then the better you feel and the easier it is. So you just have to keep doing it, no matter what it is you want to do. You just have to keep doing it, and you have to be persistent. <laughs> and and I suppose you have to work it out. Um, and, and the thing about running is, you know, for someone who doesn't run and would like to work out, well, what is it about this running that's got all these people running? Um, and there's more and more people running these days, um, is that you have to slow down. Most people put on their shoes, and they run out the door, and they get 100 meters, and they're all out of breath. And they're thinking, oh, that's hard work. I, I'm going to walk. But if you just slow down, then it's easier. And then you can go further. What do you think about those songs? Mm. What do you think? I mean, when you <laughs> play golf, you're always thinking about where you want to hit the next shot. You never do it, but where you want to hit the next shot and where's the best place to hit this and what club am I going to use to hit that shot and what's the window? What do you think about when you're running? <laughs> Well, you can you can plot yourself a route somewhere to go to, and uh, you can either go for a lap. I like to do laps all the time. I don't like to go out and back. That is a bit. So I tend to get lost quite a bit if I'm in a in a place in, in not a familiar area because I like to work out a loop, and invariably it'll send me off in some tangent, and I end up somewhere further away than I want to be. But then it just means I have to run to get back, and um, you know. The thing is, running is so much more 
it gives so much more than walking. Walking is great, but if you can combine running and walking, then then you get a bit more, and then eventually you you run more than you walk, and then you get it. I used to go for a, a bit of a jog on Sunday mornings. There was a nice destination, the Orange Grove uh, Public School has a has a markets there, but the issue became that by the time I get there. There'd be these great bacon and egg sure. rolls. So yeah. I'd, I'd go for a jog, and there'd be a bacon and egg roll at the destination end. Destination running, as opposed but to then I've got to get running. Yeah, well, then I've got to get home. So you bring your wife and had a bacon and egg roll. Yeah, so. pick you up. It'd be. I was combining running and walking. Yeah, they, so I'd run there, <laughs> walk, bacon and egg roll, walk, and then walk, walk back. Walk home. Yeah. Just on a side note, I'm interested to hear you talk about running and walking. Mike Clayton told me you'd, you'd love Mike Clayton, Sonia. In fact, we must get Clayton to take you out for a round of golf. I think you'd be hooked up after that. <laughs> But he told me last week, he caddied for Sue at the Olympics in 2016 in Rio. So, of course, they were all in the village. And there were a number of stories circulating about, you know, the, the golfers versus actual athletes. Golfers have got this wonderful thing. They love to look at themselves as athletes and this and that. Not all of them, but some. But Katrina Matthew was playing for Scotland. And apparently one morning she was out having her jog. She was doing her morning run when two Kenyan walkers walked past her. <laughs> <laughs> Horrified at the notion that she was out doing her run and well, two Kenyans walked well, you past her. <laughs> you have to be a pretty good runner to keep up with the walkers. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, you know, if they're going at high speed now, I might struggle to keep up with them on a run <laughs> these days. Well, they, they actually speed. they go at it's it. Like if you, if you think about it, some of them, the men, they would run you know, under 40 minutes for 10K, which is fair gone. I mean, it's not. Couldn't do that. A lot of Sydney people would, you'd, you'd have to do a bit of training to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Sonia, you live out, you split your time between here and Australia. Let's learn a little bit about you. You split your time between here and Ireland. I shouldn't say here in Australia because this is Australia. That would be stupid to split your time between mm-hmm. Australia and Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, between here and Ireland, what's what's the go with that? You're living the dream. People must be annoyed with you all I over the world. <laughs> it's great, you know. It's uh, I don't always get to go there in the summertime, but um, sometimes I do, and. In recent years, we've actually had some pretty good summers in Ireland. They've had quite a bit of snow and storms in the winter, but uh, uh, good summers. So, um, you know, there's no better place to be than Ireland in the summer because they just love it so much. You know, everybody gets into it. And um, so I would often find um, a reason to go to Ireland, a job or an event or something to go to. And then, you know, because it's such a long trip over there try and find a few other activities that will make the trip worthwhile and um, so normally if I go over I'll stay for about a month or so um, and then come back down here and you know do a few things down here and I was a bit more tied before because when my children were in school um, but they've both just finished now um, so now it's just come back to look after the dogs. <laughs> free, free as a bird and why Australia? I, don't, I never even thought to ask why Australia in Ireland? Uh, well, I first came down here in 1995, and it was just a few years before the Sydney Olympics. So Sydney at that point had been uh, awarded the Olympics, and it, you know it was so far away. It was a big thing for people in Europe. You know, what would it be like to travel all that distance to recover and to be ready to race? So I was given the opportunity to come and train here in January in 1995. Um, to get away from, I was training in London at the time and there was a lot of wind and rain and uh, the places where we would train, the ground was really soft and you couldn't run properly. So, you know, I thought of every possible reason not to come here. Mainly was, you know, how was I possibly going to sit on a plane for 
24 hours and not, you know, get super question. bored that it's I couldn't a, cope. It's a super question. Mm-hmm. What's the answer? How do you do that? Oh, we'll come to that later. Yes. So you came here in 95. Yeah, what happened? Yeah. And then I just, I mean, as soon as I got here, I didn't realize when I came here that, you know, there would be a track season. It was summer here, so there would be a track season. And I got to run a couple of races, even though it was off season for me. And I did some training and, yeah, it was just great to be training in the in the heat. And I was able to train quite hard in the wintertime. Um, and, you know, then gradually started to do that each year up until the Sydney Olympics. So much that, you know, Australia nearly became a second home. So then all of a sudden it was a home Olympics nearly um, before at that time. And that um, paid off with uh, so, gold, I mean, silver medal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like I had been to Sydney a couple of times before the Olympics. I ran on the track, ran the Australian trials, I ran 10,000 metres, 5,000. I had done so many laps on the Olympic track, more than anybody else, that, you know, when you come to run there, you're familiar with everything all around there. And so you're not really phased then by it being the Olympics because you can, you're constantly looking around and it looks very different when it's built up to be the Olympics and you're trying to remember what was it like when I came here in February and you're trying to work it out um, more than you're trying to, than you're being, I suppose, um, just, you know, taken by the the size of the Olympics. It doesn't scare you as much then because you know what it's like before it was the Olympics. So you're constantly just trying to break it down into that small piece and the more manageable, you know, just going to the track. And I've stood on the start line before, so, you know, what's different? It's a it's a full stadium and all the best runners in the world. But but I've been here and I've run here before, so there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm, I like that breaking it down into small pieces. That's a bit of golf about that too. Isn't it? That's of course, right. I've been here before. I've played well before. I yep. know what the course is like. I know what it's like without the grandstands and all of those sorts of things, which can be somewhat helpful. And then you came to live here, Sonia. What's that about? So, yes. So then, yeah, I suppose gradually our children, they – so my daughter Kira was one at the time of the Olympics and um, then as they got to school age you know we were forever putting off you know where we were going to spend more time because when they're younger you know you can have school in England they could have school here and then eventually they you know had to settle into a bit more of a regular routine and they had more activities going on with their friends and sport and um, so then yeah started to spend a lot more time here and I was running less as well um so yeah just it just kind of evolved into spending more time here and here you um, are and then, and then evolved back out of it trying to spend more time back in ireland <laughs> so it's kind of a a revolving kind of uh lifestyle i suppose really they're almost the same as place the in many ways aren't they australia and ireland i feel like there's a real affinity between australia scotland and ireland in particular there's that sort of shared there's something about the three places. There's a lot of similarities. They're all different and unique in their own way, obviously. But Oh, yeah, and there's so many Irish people yeah. in Australia. When I first came out here, there was so many. Then there was a bit less, and now there's more back again. And, you know, you have a lot of Irish athletes coming out here now, women in the AFL, men in the AFL. And, you know, you just there's a connection there, and it yeah. just feels like it's a lot closer now than it, than it used to be in the past. And you know, a lot more accessible to go between the two countries. A couple of things to finish up. First, this is more an observation than a question. I think you're our first guest ever who has their own bronze statue. Mm. We've not had <laughs> Greg Norman on the show. In fairness, he commissioned his own. 
which I don't think you did, but Adrian's just texted <laughs> no. me a photo of a bronze statue of you in your hometown. That must be pretty special. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it's a bit strange. Um, I think, you know, when the idea of it came first, you know, you kind of think, oh, wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then when you really think about it, you think, um, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> it would be I'm incredibly a- weird having a statue of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's my hometown. My parents still live there, so I still spend quite a bit of time there. And, um, you know, sometimes if I meet a friend of mine for a walk, I'll tell her there's a few statues in the town, but I'll say, yeah, we'll meet at the statue. We'll meet at mine. (laughs) I think at one point she said, which which statue? And I said, there's only one statue. Stony silence is the The, the answer there. Do you ever take some paper wipes over there just to, like – Give it a clean and yeah, make sure it looked, you're always looking at its best. Make sure it shoo away any birds or anything. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, you kind of discreetly try and walk past and uh, look to see, you know, what it's looking like. And, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it's beside the sea, so it can get a little bit green. And, um, you know, I, people would report to me that there was a few dogs walking past and had a wee up against <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go, community <laughs> service. <laughs> Continuing to give to the community that spawned you, Sonia. That's wonderful and uh, lovely on your part. The, the but only- it's also quite amusing because sometimes I'll sit in the car if I'm waiting for someone and you watch people walking past. And sometimes I'll just be over there hovering around, not, not regularly, but just for a bit of fun. If it's not creepy. Pe- you see some you know, tourists around from out of town and if I'm standing there talking to someone and um, we'll, say, we'll see now if anyone noticed something here. <laughs> And then someone might say to them, you know, that's her over there. <laughs> <laughs> so then they get the real life version as well. So you can have you can have some good fun if you're if you're up for it, you know. There's only, as long as there's not a big as long as there's not a big crowd crowd around. If it's just one or two, then I'm happy only, to go and have a bit of fun. Only two ways to do a bronze statue of yourself, I reckon. That's either to sort of ignore it, as you're saying, or to recreate that pose every time you walk past it. They're your only two options. It's to stand next to it in the pose that it's, uh, that it's seeing. The second thing I wanted to ask you about is probably a little more serious, and it's a bigger question than either golf or running. It's about sport and society and all that sort of stuff in general. Is the 20 by 20 program in Ireland? We've seen, and you mentioned yourself, the growth in women's AFL here in Australia, and not to everybody's liking. It's somewhat controversial, but it's undoubtedly been a hugely successful, as has the women's cricket, women's soccer here in Australia. What's the 20 by 20 notion in Ireland, and how's that coming along, and why is it important? So, well, it was set up a couple of years ago, and it was all to do with getting uh, 20% more coverage and exposure of women's sport by 2020. And, you know, one of the ways to do this is to get women to actually attend sporting events and particularly to attend women's sporting events. So, you know, you have the All-Ireland football final and the Camogie final. um, And, you know, even for me to go along and watch a women's sporting event, like going to the golf. Mm -hmm. So they get people to commit to going and seeing for themselves, you know, a a women's sporting event and bring your, bring your, your daughters or your mother um, and just get everybody involved and show them, you know, because we're so ingrained in so many people, you know, the the high level of men's sport that oftentimes it's it's a it's a bigger effort to go and watch a women's sport. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if you say to people here, are you going to the football um, in Australia? And they say, what football? You say, well, the women's AFL. And they might think you're talking about a soccer game. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you have to explain more. 
you know, the event that you're going to see. And and we've seen the growth is amazing in, um, you know, it's all this thing about if you can't see it, you can't be it. And you bring young children, particularly young girls, to other women playing sport and see, you know, how, I suppose, give them the exposure to everything about it. You know, the, the celebrations, the disappointments, the, the energy, the aggression, you know, the kind of fierceness that there is in you know, in all sports and women are, you know, as well able to do this as men um, and, you know, and feel good about it. And just to, you know, grow that kind of, um, I suppose, area of life for women and so show them that sport isn't just when you're young, but, you know, you can go on and this can be your life. Because there is no more intense, fierce or physically terrifying encounter to watch than the Australian women's netball team and the New mm-hmm. Zealand New women's Zealand, netball yeah. team. That, mm-hmm. that, that's a brawl over a ball, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, some, and some magnificent skills shown at the same time. But that is... Uh, yeah, so, so there'll always be iconic events like yeah. that. But there's so many, so you many know, more. I suppose, newer women's sports and Olympic women's sports that are becoming much more popular. And sometimes you can break down the women's sports much greater than the men's. You can kind of connect with it a lot more and understand it. Um, because maybe because it's sometimes it's at a slower pace or it's a bit more, you can just see the breakdown of the sport in a greater way than you know traditional men's sports. Last one, I promise. I could ask a million questions because that's <laughs> the way I'm wired. Uh, Meg McLaren is a golfer you may or may not be familiar with, English girl. She writes a magnificent blog about all sorts of things to do with golf, including quite often about the gen- the the pay disparity between men's and women's golf. A lot of that is misunderstood by people, and she's got a folder on her phone of screenshots of some of the Twitter responses she's had, which I'm sure she wouldn't be keen to show her father, and rightfully so. But her point has always been, one of the points she makes is, once people get access to the proper stories, to the actual stories, Look, to put it simply, if you gave women's golf, just take golf, if you took all of women's golf and swapped it in coverage with men's golf, it wouldn't lose any popularity because once the stories of golf, the players are being told, golf yeah, professional golf, yeah. that the, mm-hmm. the, the players' stories are equally interesting, the golf itself is just as entertaining, Great though different. I wonder if you agree with that, Sonia, whether that might be true across the board and just... We often talk about the conundrum, you know, that if you if you put a woman athlete on the cover of a magazine, it sells less copies, so you don't do it. But then on the flip side, if you don't do it, how will women's sport ever gain any more prominence? Have you got any thoughts about some of those? Because they're big conundrums. I'm not sure there's any right or wrong answers to any of it. But does that make sense to you as I've outlined it, Meg's basic premise? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it is changing and it's evolving and it's sometimes it's a slow process and it's maybe it's a fear factor for you know, the people who are making the decisions to which picture to use or which headline story to go with. Um, But oftentimes, you know, if you put a picture of a, you know, a women celebrating a sporting event on the front page of a paper, then it's a lot more energetic and colourful picture. Um, And I think it does connect with a lot more people. Um, than if you have the same thing with a men's event. And, and it's, I, I, that's the thing. I always have difficulty with this whole comparison of men's and women's. And, you know, because I grew up with sport and I just ran and I didn't see myself as being any, you know, less than a man run, male runner. Um, so I never really thought about it that much. Um, 
so I think sometimes people just have to be brave and you just have to go with something that's a bit different and, you know, not always be conservative and go with what works because maybe something different will work even better. I sense you're optimistic. Am I right about that? The direction yep. we're moving? Oh, yeah. No, I'm very, I mean, I think in Ireland it's very positive at the moment and women's sports gets huge coverage and most likely, you know, the Irish Olympic team this year will be equal men and women. Um, there possibly could even be more women than men. Um, so the opportunities are there for the women to, you know, have everything that the men do. And, you know, and just by having that, then, you know, I suppose the duty of the media and, you know, the supporters to to support equally as well and to, to give equal coverage. So I think from the actual physical aspect of the makeup of the team and the um the people competing it's equal but it's just to get that exposure out there and to you know give equal coverage and show that you know there there's no difference you know it's all sport yeah. mm. well, we look forward to seeing leona mcguire and yeah. stephanie meadow absolutely right alongside rory mcelroy and and uh Lowry, maybe. Lowry, yeah. Yeah, and I, like, I think that's the thing with golf in the Olympics is that it's kind of exclusive in that, you know, a lot of countries have a lot of golfers, but it's not easy to get onto the Olympic team if you want to get on it. And if everybody wanted to get on it, it's, there's only two per country, and it's it's quite a difficult thing to do. And I think the feedback from Padraig the last time and Leona and any of the golfers who went and didn't really know what to expect. I think they were surprised, you know, at the, and I think it was the connection with all the other athletes across all the other sports. And, you know, they took the professionalism was taken out of it and they were all equal and they were all, you know, the, the prize was the same for everybody. Mm. Um, I'm still yet to be convinced about <laughs> golf's place in the Olympics. But, and, and I don't think that's much a, of that's to do with the format. Of or course, something right. But, but, but yeah, I'm just not convinced yeah. about it. The bi- all the big stuff in golf happens every year, not every four years. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. So there's, there are other issues, and it pro- it probably depends on what country you're from as well. I think because I think you know in Ireland the golf golf as a sport might not be so big, but the personalities in golf are really big, and I think that's what makes the sport big in Ireland. Um, a bit like Australia, you, know, so you, golfers, you punch above your weight. Golfers are as, li- as likely to be on the front page yeah. of the Irish Times or whatever newspaper as, you know, rugby players yeah. and a, to be held in the same, you know, high esteem. What a golden um, run you've had in Ireland the last decade or so with yeah. uh, with major winners and Clark, McDowell, Harrington, Lowry, McElroy. And McElroy, of course, is just universally a golfer. We all claim a bit of it. Rory McElroy, mm-hmm. I think. I don't think we realise how big Harrington is no. in Ireland as well. I asked Some Leona people would about make that. the case that he's yeah. Ireland's greatest ever sportsman. Yeah, is that that's true, isn't it, Sonia? I asked Leona about that. Oh, yeah. And she no, said when absolutely. You, when you asked her that question, I was surprised <laughs> that you uh, actually had to ask the question because <laughs> he would probably be one of the, you know, original kind of, you know, well-known golfers. I mean, there was others down through the years, but, you know, in the modern area, um, winning back-to-back, um, was it the... The, the British Open, is yeah. that what you call it, or the uh, the Open? Yep. Um, you know, that really kind of elevated him to, you know, it was just like cult status for, you know, for golf. It was, you know, everybody knew who he was. So he's, you know, he would be somebody who you could 
stop anybody in the streets and they'd know who you were talking about if you mentioned Padraig Harrington. It would be like somebody asking us, you know, if, if Greg Norman was popular in Australia in the 80s and 90s. I was just, that's how foolish I was. when I. She was quite taken aback when I asked her that question. Leanne. She's like, what are you talking Well, of course he's one of, the biggest, one of the biggest stars in the history. Of, well, of course, in Australia, we've not forgiven him for the second victory, Sonia, because the Shark was on the verge of doing something special and winning it at the age of, what was he, 52 or 53 at the time, I think? And uh, Harrington stole it from him. That's not true. He played. Uh-huh. He outplayed. It was fantastic. And we love Har- We'd like to see Harrington down here more. We've taken more of your time than I meant to, Sonia. It's been fantastic to chat to you and get the perspective of a non-golfer. Uh, really fantastic piece. I'll put the link in the show notes, as I said, and I recommend that people go and read it. There's lots for golf to think about there, about how we go about it. The hand-wringing about growing the game and bringing new people to the game. The one thing we almost never seem to do in golf is ask people who don't play the game, why not? So it's been wonderful for you to come along and answer some of those questions for us. Thanks very much. Really appreciate your time. Okay. No problem. Thank you. Adrian, good to talk to you as well, also, as always. Thanks very much, Rod, and thanks, Sonia. Thank you, Sonia. Episode okay, 19 of the Good Good Golf po- Good Good is a golf term, by the way, Sonia. Stick around. We'll explain mm-hmm. it after we finish the, uh, All right. the closer. <laughs> uh, episode 19 of the Good Good Golf Podcast in the books, as they say. Look forward to your company when we do it all again next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.